Well, good morning, Chapel family. It will be our joy through the ages to sing of His marvelous love for us. Well, we're in the book of John. I encourage you to turn to John chapter 15. We're, we're continuing a series going through John's Gospel, looking at places where Jesus says, I am, and then describes Himself. And, and uh, so if you're if you're new with us this morning, we're jumping in the middle of a series, but that's okay because we can pick up right where we, where we are today and you'll, you'll catch up just fine. Last week, Pastor Aaron led us in a great message looking at John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now today we're in these first eight verses of John chapter 15 where Jesus says, I am the vine. Jesus says these words in the upper room where his where he's with the disciples uh, that Passover night before his crucifixion. It was and it's hard for me to believe as I was thinking about this. It was over 15 years ago that a TV show premiered and introduced a new concept in TV storytelling. The show was 24. 24 one-hour-long episodes, each unfolding a story, as it were, in real time, working their way through one 24-hour day. And I say that because, in a way, that's almost what uh, the Apostle John does here in his Gospel. See, the first 12 chapters of this book, John rushes through three to three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. He just very quickly gives us just snippets of that first three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. And then, beginning in chapter 13, He brings us into that upper room on that Passover night, that Passover dinner, the night before Jesus' crucifixion. And that night continues into chapter 14 and into chapter 15 and into chapter 16 and into chapter 17. And then in chapter 18, they leave that upper room and, and they head up into, across the Kidron Valley and up onto the Mount of Olives into the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praised and then He is arrested and then He is taken and tried and then He is crucified. And all of that is chapter 18 and 19. In other words, John takes seven chapters and covers less than 24 hours of Jesus' life. And he almost slows it down so we can see it in real time. Matter of fact, it's, it's, he, he places such an importance on these and such significance on Jesus' words and his, his actions in these, these last little bit of time that he has devoted, if you count it up, it's one-third of the Gospel of John covers less than 24 hours. That'll help you see a little bit of the perspective. And so that's the backdrop as we come here to chapter 15. Follow along. I'm just going to read the first eight verses of this chapter. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, 
He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the Word that I have spoken to you. Abide in Me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from Me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in Me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is My Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be My disciples. As Jesus so often does, He's using a, a metaphor, a word picture to teach us here. There are three characters in this picture of the vine and it's not hard to know who is what because Jesus tells us very plainly who is what. First, He tells us that the true vine is Jesus. Verse 1, I am the true vine. Verse 5, I am the vine. Then also in verse 1, Jesus says there's a, a vine dresser, a gardener who, who tends to the vine, and the vine dresser is God the Father. The third character in this in this picture are the branches. And the branches, He tells us down in verse 5, the branches are you. I am the vine and you are the branches. You being He's talking here with His disciples. And we can extend that to all followers of Jesus. And so that's the, the picture and those are the characters, but Jesus has a point. What is it He wants us to learn from this metaphor. First of all, the purpose of the branches is to bear fruit. You and I are created for a purpose. There is a reason that we are here and Jesus says the reason we're here is we are to bear fruit. That's Vineyard 101. If you're going to cultivate a grapevine... You do that not so you can grow leaves, not so you can grow vines. You do that because you want to grow grapes. And so fruit is a big deal. Fruit is mentioned here in these little eight verses. It's mentioned six times. Jesus' point is that fruit is the essence of the Christian life. Real disciples of Jesus bear fruit. The Apostle Paul makes that point as well over in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 where he says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do that we should walk in them. Actually, I quoted a different translation now that I look at the verse. Which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. You have a purpose. Before you and I were ever born, he says here, God created work for you to do. He has a plan for you. It's a purpose for you. We're to bear fruit. And that raises a question. 
If we're the branches and the purpose is that we are to bear fruit, then what in the world is fruit? We get it for the grapevine. It's grapes. But what is it for you? What is it for me? Well, the fruit of a vine branch is what results from the life of the vine flowing through it. And so we could say that likewise, the fruit that we are to grow is, it's, the fruit is what grows in us when the life of Jesus flows through us. That's fruit. It's what naturally will normally grow in you and me if Jesus is alive, if He is living inside of us. Fruit then is the visible manifestation of it's the visible result of Jesus life in us let me suggest three ways in which that fruit then manifests which it shows up in your life and mine the first is this it's Christ-like character we can look over in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 a verse that probably many of you are familiar with maybe you memorized it before and it says this but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, grows in us when He lives in us. It's the natural fruit. And so, one of the fruits of Christ in our life, the life of the vine in us, is He will grow Christ-like character. And these are some of them. Second thing that will naturally manifest itself if the life of the vine is living in us as the branches is we will grow the fruit of Christ-like conduct. He will produce in us actions and conduct that pleases God and reflects His holiness. Like Paul says here in Colossians 1.10, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. If the Spirit of Christ is living in us, if His life is flowing through us, we will have this kind of conduct. We will live in such a way that is worthy of the Lord. We will live in such a way that we please Him, that we are bearing fruit in good work, good actions, good conduct. The third way the life of the vine manifests itself in us is we will then produce Christ-like converts. Go back to the, the picture of fruit, to the analogy of fruit. And, and fruit contains in it, or the purpose of fruit, let me back it up. The purpose of fruit is to eat. That's, that's from our human perspective. We would say the purpose of fruit is eating. We like strawberries. We like pears and peaches and apples. We love fruit. But the real purpose of fruit from the perspective of the plant is to grow more plants. Every fruit has seeds. And the purpose of seeds is reproduction. And so the purpose, or or the implication I should say, of fruit is reproduction. And that's so it should be with you and me. We should be, we are to be reproducing. It is the mission that Jesus left us to do as we saw when we went through the book, when those, the first three chapters of Acts, you are to be my witnesses. The end of Matthew chapter 28, verse 
verses 19 and 20, we are to go and make disciples. We are to be reproducing, sharing the good news of the Gospel of Jesus. And as we exhibit Christ-like character and as we exhibit Christ-like conduct, we will attract people to Jesus Christ through our Christ-like witness and we will produce Christ-like converts. That is one of the main points of this passage. Branches exist to bear fruit. There's a second main point in this passage, and we see it here in verse 2 where he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Down in verse 6, he continues and he talks about the same branches. And he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Fruitless branches, Jesus says, are removed. And those fruitless branches, as we realize that the vine dresser, the one who removes them is God, and God takes those branches and He throws them away, and then ultimately He throws them into the fire and they are burned. And we realize that these branches, who are people, are judged by God and they are thrown into the fire, which would be hell, and we realize, whoa, And our theology just shakes a little bit here because we think about this. Who are the branches? You. And who is you? The disciples, the followers of Jesus. And what happens with these fruitless branches is they're thrown into hell. They're judged by God and thrown into hell. And we go, wait a minute. If Does that mean that these disciples, these followers, are they Christians? And they lose their salvation and are thrown into hell. Because is that what it says? There's a question mark that rises. And first thing, whenever you have a question, when you come to Scripture and you come to something you don't understand and it seems a little obscure and you're not sure what it means, you always interpret it of what Scripture teaches plainly. And does Scripture teach that we can lose our salvation as Christians? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're saved by Jesus Christ, can you lose your salvation? That was not very enthusiastic. So we have to do some education here. (laughs) The answer is no. Okay, let's try that again. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're really saved by Jesus Christ, can you lose your salvation? How do you know that? Hmm, The Bible. Okay, very clearly. We could spend all morning on that. We could go through the New Testament. We could explain that. Let me give you two passages very quickly. And if you need more, talk to me later. Talk to Pastor Aaron. Talk to one of our elders. Talk to your Sunday school teacher. Talk to your Bible study leader because we'd love to show you where else the Bible says this. It very plainly teaches. Jesus says this early in John chapter 6, verse 39. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that He has given me, but I will raise Him up on the last day. Jesus is saying, all those that God has given me, all those I have saved, I will lose none of them. And I'll raise them up on the last day. So Jesus is saying, if I've saved you, you can't get unsaved. If I've saved you, I will not lose you. Is that what He says? Very plainly. Another verse you all know very well. If you know any verse of the Bible, you know this one. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And in some of the other translations, it uses the word has. They're both present. And the the whole 
point of that verb is it's present tense. He doesn't say, and you will have eternal life. It's not future, but it's present. You have it now. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you're trusting Him as your Savior, if you are saved, you have eternal life now, today, already. Now, what that means is this. You see, if you have eternal life and you can lose it later, then it wasn't eternal. Which means you never had it. Right? Pretty simple. Can I leave it there? If you have more questions, talk to me. The Scripture is very plain. If we have eternal life, if we have eternal life, you cannot lose it. If you are saved, you can't be unsaved. So then what is Jesus teaching here? When Jesus says that the branches who are in Me that do not bear fruit, the question is, is He talking about believers? And the answer is no. He's talking about those who appear to be believers, but are not. See, the point is that there are those who associate with Jesus. They spend time with Jesus. They say, I, they say I'm a believer in Jesus. They say they love Jesus. They'll go to church. They'll sing the songs. They'll, you know, serve in the nursery. They'll work the sound. They'll help in the food pantry. They'll go to Sunday school. They'll become a member. They have a Jesus t-shirt. And they've got a little fish bumper sticker on their donkey. And they look like a Christian and they talk like a Christian. But the reality is they have no relationship really with Jesus Christ. They have an association with Christ followers. But they have have not placed their faith and trust in Jesus. Just like Judas. You see, Judas was one of the twelve disciples. He followed Jesus the whole time. He walked with the disciples wherever they were. He walked with them and He talked with them and He ate with them and, he, and they, they camped out together. He saw all the miracles. He heard all the teaching. And when the disciples were sent out by Jesus on mission trips in pairs and they went and preached, guess who was out preaching? Judas! And my guess is when the other disciples were there working miracles, Judas may even have been able to do miracles. You recall Jesus said that there's going to be a time at the judgment when some are going to be there at the judgment and say, Lord, Lord, we, we knew You. We, we, we talked about You. We, we worshipped You. We, we, we uh, did miracles in Your name. And Jesus says, go away, I never knew You. Whew. Because they looked like Christians, they looked like believers in Christ, but they never put their faith in Christ. That was Judas. And am I wrong to see Judas in this? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, John wants us to see Judas here. Look at verse 3. Look at what Jesus says. Already, He's talking to disciples here, He says, already you are clean. The reason that's significant is because Jesus says almost the same thing, but different back in chapter 13 which the way we tend to think is that was a long time ago, that was two chapters way back there. But remember, this is all one night and this was just maybe an hour or so before. Maybe even less. 
that Jesus is talking to the disciples, and you'll recall that that Passover meal, as they are sitting there, or actually reclining, they're lame as they eat, that Jesus gets up in the middle of the meal and He goes over and takes off His his robe and puts on the, the towel of a servant and He gets down and starts washing the feet of the disciples. You remember that? It's in John chapter 13. And He gets to Peter and Peter goes, No way, Jesus! Not me! You're not washing my feet! And Jesus says, Yes, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. need to wash your feet. And Peter goes, Okay, Jesus, then wash my head, wash my hands, give me a bath. And Jesus says, and here's, here's what He says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. But he's completely clean. Only the feet are dirty. And you are clean, but note, but not every one of you, John says, because he knew who was to betray him. You're all clean already. You don't need to be washed by me. You're saved. Well, not every one of you. End of that chapter, Judas goes off. Chapter 15, Jesus says, you are clean. No exceptions. All of you are saved. But see, there are those who are in the disciples who weren't saved. And there are some who are in evangelical churches and hearing hearing the good news and the Gospel of Jesus Christ and they, they know the hymns and they know the verses and they, they've got the t-shirt and they put on a good show, but they are producing no real fruit because the real life of the vine is not in them. They don't have the life of Christ in them. And so two points I need to make from this truth. The first is that there's a concern because no fruit equals an unbeliever. If there, He's saying that, that if you are a believer in Christ, there's fruit, and if there is no fruit, then it's a sign you're not a believer. And so there is a bit of a warning here in this, in this text that if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but there is no fruit, there is no evidence of that growing in your life, then that ought to be alarming to you. It ought to be something that grabs your attention and the alarm bells ought to go off this morning. You need to examine your heart because Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Matthew seventeen sixteen. Real believers evidence fruit. James writes, you'll know this verse, he writes, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He's not saying that we're saved at all by the works, by the deeds that we do. Good works don't make you a branch. But if you're a branch in the vine, fruits will grow. Works follow. Doing good works doesn't save us, but true believers in Jesus have the life of Christ in them and fruit grows. There's a second point that we should see here. I don't think that that warning was Jesus' main point to the disciples because these disciples were all saved. I think the main point of this to the disciples is He's 
putting, he's telling them this because he wants them to understand that phony believers cannot hinder God's work. You see, Jesus is, in all of this, he's setting the stage. See, the disciples are clueless what's about to happen. The disciples are clueless that, that, that Jesus is about to die. He's been telling them, but they don't get it. They are clueless that Judas is about to betray Jesus. Their whole world is going to turn upside down. And what they don't realize is on this night, and it's why John is spending all this time in this section, is Jesus is holding cram school. <laughs> He's holding a cram class. You know how it is that night before final exam where you're trying to pump all the information into your brain so you can maybe remember it tomorrow. And Jesus knows the final exam is coming tomorrow and He's pumping all, you know, downloading all the information. Here's what you need to know. If you are going to live as My disciples, if you're going to carry on the mission, you need to know this. And He's preparing them a little bit for how to explain and understand Judas when it happens. And He's letting them know, guess what? A phony believer can't undo God's work. The vine dresser is in charge. And the vine dresser is going to remove the lifeless branches before they can damage the vine. God's going to accomplish His purpose. So don't worry. Don't lose heart. And the main point of this, the third main point, is that we are called to be fruitful branches. Be a fruitful branch. Every true believer in Christ bears fruit. Now, for some, you're going to have to look real hard. You're going to have to dig and dig and look and look. But somewhere, if there's a true believer, you're going to find a grape. Somewhere. <laughs> One or two small ones, but they're going to be there. But God doesn't want us to bear a couple of grapes. His desire, and it's clear through this passage, is that we bear much fruit. Look down at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, oops, that you bear much fruit, and so prove yourselves or show yourselves to be my disciples. Oh, and here's the question is how do we increase our fruit bearing? I've created you for a purpose, and the purpose is for good works, which He's prepared in advance for us to do. And we're satisfied to be a cutting board to grow a grape or two. What a waste. By this My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So the question is, how do we increase our fruit bearing? Three things He shows us here in the text very quickly. First thing in verse 2, and every branch that does, does bear fruit, He prunes it, that's the vine dresser, that's God, that it may bear more fruit. The first thing is we learn that God prunes us, you and me who are true believers, He prunes us so we'll bear more fruit. First of all, that doesn't sound very delightful, getting pruned. Probably isn't. <laughs> but it's a good thing. Every vine dresser understands that you need to cut off the unnecessary leaves and the unnecessary shoots because if you don't, 
what happens is that they, they drain the resources of the vine and what you end up with is a vine with lots of, lots of shoots and lots of leaves, but no grapes. And so God, the master vine dresser, is busy in your life and mine pruning the stuff out that prevents you and me from being productive. Of course, one of the things he's talking about is sin. Sin obviously gets in the way of us growing Christ-like character and Christ-like conduct and being effective witnesses for Christ. But it's more than just getting rid of the sin, it's getting just rid of the extra stuff that just gets in the way. Your life and my life are like my garage. It's cluttered with all kinds of stuff that doesn't need to be there. So I can't even park a car in my garage on my side. You know, we all have our spots. And my spot is filled with stuff. So our lives are filled with stuff that often gets in the way of us growing fruit. God is in the business for His people, for the, the, the branches that are part of the vine. He's in the business of pruning us. He works, I know, through... And the Scripture tells us He's in the business of using trials and tribulations difficulties, persecution, sickness, all of those things He uses to purge our lives and to draw us closer to Him. But it's significant right here. He tells us the tool that He uses. Jesus says there in verse 3, Already you are clean because of the Word that I have spoken to you. God's great tool to prune us is the Word of God. You and I can help Him along in the process of pruning us and helping us to be fruitful when we deliberately and intentionally make the effort to input and ingest the Word of God, to hear it, to learn it, to meditate on it, to apply it to our life. Those will be the pruning shears that God will use to make us more fruitful. Second thing that we need to do to be fruitful, and it's a major theme in this passage, you'll see this word come up again and again and again, is we need to abide in Christ. He says, if you abide in Me, you bear much fruit. If you, Whoever doesn't abide in Me doesn't bear any fruit because you can't bear fruit apart from the vine. A branch that's not connected to the vine will not bear fruit. And so you won't bear fruit. He, makes a, he says that twice. And, and he repeats again and again and again the importance of abiding in Christ. And most of us have heard this. We've grown up all our life and we've read these verses. We've had, need to abide in Christ. I'm going to abide in Christ. But if I asked you, what does it mean to abide in Christ? You'd probably go, I don't have any clue. <laughs> it's church language. How do you abide in Christ? Reality is, I've been a Christian a really long time and I've memorized these verses before. And I don't think I've ever tried before this past week to put this into language I could understand. I've spoke church churchese. <laughs> and I realized I'm going to have to get up here and explain it to you. And I thought, <laughs> how do I explain it? Got a couple of ways I think can maybe explain it. If it's so important and if we can't bear fruit without it, but that's our purpose is to bear fruit, then how do we abide in Christ? Live in such a way so that we are at home in Christ. That's 
we abide in Him, and so that He is at home in us, and He abides in us. In other words, that I need to arrange my life and order my life and live my life in such a way that I'm at home in Christ. Have you ever been somewhere you don't belong? (laughs) You're not comfortable. Well, if we belong with Christ, well, let me put it this way. If we're not living in a way that pleases Christ, if we are not caring about what He cares about, and if we are holding on to stuff that He doesn't care about and doesn't like, we're not going to be comfortable with Him. We're not going to be comfortable in His home. We need to live in such a way that we'll be comfortable in His home. And we need to live in such a way that He's going to be comfortable in ours. So there's nothing in my life that offends Him. That's what it means to abide in Christ. Another way to look at it is this, that we are to make our home in Christ. And let me help you understand what I mean by that. Let me ask you, what do you think of when you think of home? What is home to you? Let me give you some thoughts that might help you think about when, when I think of home, what do, I, what do I want? Well, home is where I want to be. It's where my heart is. Home is where I want to go back to. It's where I always return to. It's the default place. Where are you going? I'm going home. You know, Now we go all kinds of places, but when we run out of other places to go, we go home. It's the default place. Home is where we're comfortable. Home is that place we can be real. We can take the makeup off. We can take the clothes off that aren't comfortable, but we wear them because they help us to look better. <laughs> home is where I don't have to wear my shoes. It's where I can be me. Home is where we're safe and secure. Home is where we want to bring our friends and our loved ones where we can really enjoy one another's company. Where we can be. It's it's our base of operation. It's the center of what we do. Home is the place where we find rest and where we're refreshed. Home is that place where the people and the things that we love most are found. See, that's what it is to make Jesus our home. He is the one that we love the most. He is the one who refreshes us and gives us rest. He's the one who's the center of all we do. He's the one where we want to bring our friends to so they can get to know and visit and hang out with our best friend, with Jesus Jesus is the one or should be the one for the believer where, where we, we're comfortable and we can be ourselves and we, we can let it all out. He's the one where we always want to return back to. He's the one where our heart is. See, that's what it is to make Christ our home. In other words, we want to grow in a love and relationship with Christ where it's all about Him. That's what it is to abide in Christ. You see, growing fruit is not about our efforts. 
Growing fruit is not about you and me trying to be Christ-like. It's not about us trying to have Christ's character. It's not about us trying to do these things. It's about us making our home in Him. And as we seek Him, as we get to know Him, as we love Him, His life will flow through us and these fruits will grow. There's one last thing that He shows here about how we can become fruitful. And it's in verse 7. And it's the most astounding verse. He says, If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Two big stipulations and a huge promise. Stipulation number one, if Christ is your home. Stipulation number two, and His words abide in you. It's your aim to follow, to obey His word. Promise. Jesus writes a blank check. He says, whatever you wish, ask it, and it will be done for you. That promise ought to blow you away. (laughs) So should the stipulations. (laughs) Now, if you follow the stipulations, when you go to ask, you're not going to be saying, well, God, I want a yacht mansion, you know, this, that, big bank accounts. No. Because when Christ is your home, your desire is what He desires. And what does He want? He wants us to grow fruit. He wants us to have Christ-like character and Christ-like conduct so we share a Christ-like witness and have Christ-like converts. We bring more people to Christ. And when that's our desire, He says, ask. And I'll do it. He will give us everything, anything we need and desire to grow a bumper crop of godly grapes. See, brother and sister, if your aim in life is to get a degree so you can get a good job, a big house, a nice bank account, raise a family, of good-looking kids like you, (laughs) and on and on, you're missing the point. You're using the iPad of your life like a cutting board. You're missing out because Jesus made us, He created us, and He redeemed us for loftier things, for higher things. We were made to grow eternal fruit. So I pray it's our desire to live as fruit bearers for Jesus.